Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Oh, come on. We do this every week. That was terrible. How you doing? All right. Um, good morning. I'm super excited uh, to be here. And I, I did want to echo a little bit of uh, that thank you to Megan for children's ministry. Again, I was a children's pastor for 14 years, and then I volunteered before that. So I know the, the passion and the fun and the hard work that goes into children's ministry. Thank you so much for what you do. And, and I'll echo that, that shout out to anyone that wants to get involved in it. If you want to be challenged and learn things about the Bible that you maybe thought, what? Like, that's amazing. Just some rudimentary facts. Join children's ministry. It is a lot of fun. And there's nothing quite like seeing when you say something about the Bible and you see a light bulb go on in a kid's head, like something just resonated with them. It's the greatest thing. Or when you hear, you hear a child say, I believe in Jesus wholeheartedly. There's no doubt. There's nothing quite like seeing the faith of a child. So if, if that's something that gets you excited, thinking, I, I want to be a part of that, uh, I encourage you, go talk to Megan. You won't regret it. It is an incredible thing being involved in children's ministry. And it gets my blood pumping. Even when Marshall's doing announcements and I hear the stomping going on, there's a part of me that wants to run upstairs and start stomping too. I have a lot of fun with it. So, um, so yeah, talk to Megan. If children's ministry is something you're interested in, it'd be a lot of fun. So now let me actually move on to what I prepared for today. Now, as we've been, oh, let me, let me pray first. God, I thank you so much. Thank you for today. I thank you for all these people, whether they're in here or joining us online. I thank you that every person is here. I don't believe anyone's here by accident. They're here because you had a prompting in some way, shape, or form to bring them here today. So God, I pray that you speak to every person, you touch every heart, and you allow your word to resonate deeply in everybody. We thank you, we love you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 2, or if you have your digit Bibles, you can go ahead and turn those on to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to do something probably a little different today. I don't know if you've ever quite heard this story come into play in February. But um, as we venture, we've been talking about the new year and new resolutions and new goals and kind of new vision for, for where we're going to go. I wanted to, to finish kind of some thoughts on that this week using um, kind of an odd group of people that you may not, again, think of bringing them into this conversation. But last week I talked about setting big dreams, having godly dreams, and then turning those dreams into goals and really going for it. And we talked about how no matter how young you are or no matter how old you are, when God gives you a dream, he's going to give you the ability to go forward with that dream. He's not going to say, hey, think about this. Never mind. Move on. He's going to give you the ability and the tools through him to get stuff done. And I believe that God has put a dream on all of our hearts. And with him, everything is possible, even though it may seem hard and it may seem tough. Now, I start to understand this more and more each and every day as I get older the weird things that happen, and the way things can get tough. I've made resolutions in the past. You know, we talked a little bit about New Year's resolutions the past couple of weeks. I've made resolutions, and I've failed in many resolutions. And I've made goals, and I've set dreams, and I've failed in some things. But me personally, I hate giving up. I hate it. I, I don't like looking at something and quitting. I like giving something everything I've got with a lot of gusto. That's just my personality. But I can recall one specific time in my life, just not, I'm sure there's more, but one that stands out when I think about giving up on something. And that was back when I was in elementary school. A friend, no, my family's very musical. Uh, my dad and my stepdad both play guitar and the bass. I've got brothers that play the drums. I've got sisters that play the violin and the piano. Just, and again, there's 15 kids, 18 kids with the adopted ones in my family. So there's a lot of us. And a lot of people in my family play music. And at one point, I played nothing. And my family would be playing things. And I remember saying, man, I want to be involved. I want to I get an instrument and start playing. And a family of our friend gave us a flute. I decided... 
I'm going to play the flute. Does anybody here play the flute? All power to you. Wow. I quit. <laughs> I did. I started, and I'm holding this thing, and I'm thinking it, of course, my elementary school mind, it cannot be that hard to make your lips into just perfect shape and hold that at the perfect angle and play all the notes. And man, I tried and I blew and I spat and I blew. And after weeks, I finally got that thing to squeak and I was like, that's it? That's all I can make this thing do? And I quickly gave up the flute. I then turned to the piano. Much easier to make a sound out of the piano than it is the flute. And I took piano lessons for many years, and I started to play the piano a lot. And to this day, I don't play a ton anymore, but I can still play a little bit of the piano, and that was something that I love to do. But all that to say, I think when it comes to values, what I had was an aspired value to play the flute. I aspired to be a good flautist. It's a fun word to say. I aspired to be a flautist, but I wasn't actually valuing this. What I actually valued was learning the piano. And so there's, there's a big difference between when we talk about goals and values, there's aspired values and actual values. Aspired values are what you say you're going to do. I aspire to this. I'm going to do that. You, there's a lot of saying what you want to do, but the actual value is what you do. And I'm sure you know, we can start thinking about this. You can probably start thinking of things in your lives where you say, oh, that's really an aspired value, and that's an actual value. Like think maybe with your family. You can say, I value my family, but do your actions take you further and further away from your family? You can say, I, I value worship and I value gathering together, whether it's in person or online. This is something that is important to me, but then you're doing something different on those days. So you have the aspired and the actual. I value my time with God, but I don't actually spend time with God. Aspired values, actual values. I aspire, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm gonna get in shape, I'm gonna do things right, but then you don't change anything. One's aspired, one's actual. And I'm sure we all have examples in our lives. We can start thinking of now as we start, all right, this is something I aspire to do. This is something I actually do because of my values. And when we hear about goals and dreams, I know that we pursue them as a plan of action, even though sometimes maybe we never feel like we quite achieve them. But I believe that whenever we set a goal, we have the best intentions in mind, right? You don't ever set a goal starting, knowing like, I'm going to do this to fail. It's kind of like, what's the point? I'm going to set up to do this, and I know that I will fail, and that's going to be the end of it. No one really starts there. You know, when, when you want to see a change, when you want to do something in your life, you set a goal, and you have the result in mind. You, have, you see what the finish line looks like, or you see where your steps are to get to that place. You have something you want to go pursue, knowing there's a possibility of stumbles and failure, but that's never the start at the beginning, knowing that you want to fail. But I think that mentality can happen is that we have good intentions, but that's only part of it. We can have good intentions, but taking the effort is the next big step we have to do. You see, good intentions doesn't get you to your desired goal. Good intentions sets the site for your goal. The actions start putting things into place when we go there. When we start making that effort and take that step towards our goal, if we don't do that, we're no better off than where we started. If you don't see the finish line and go for it, you're still at the starting point and nothing has changed. Often we can live lives of good intentions, but we never live intentional lives. Converting our intentions into action, that's getting beyond the good intentions. Now, can you imagine the Olympics? Now, I love the Olympics. I absolutely love watching them. Every you know, two years for the winter and then the next two years, the summer, go back and forth. I was crazy bummed last year when they got delayed, but I'm really hoping they figured out and they get to do it this year. And my daughter, Aurora, uh, four years ago, she got really into the Olympics as well. 
So she was only five years old. And I remember we're watching the Olympic Games and she starts screaming for the USA. And I'm just like, proud dad, right? That's right, USA. We're watching them compete. And when USA got gold, she would scream and cheer, we got the gold. And when USA didn't get gold, she would crumble and cry. <laughs> it, was the, it was the most amazing, funny, cute, proud thing of sitting there with my daughter watching the Olympics. But I remember watching the sprinters. And when you see a sprinter go, can you imagine the sprinter that goes to the start line, they've made it, they know what their goal is to get the gold, I've gotta get there first. If they were to get there, the buzzer goes off, the gun goes off, and they don't move. What happens? They don't get their goal. They don't reach their goal. They are simply at the starting line. And if we want to take action, it's got to be like that sprinter that sees the goal. And when you, you get that time from God saying, it's time to go, you start going. And you go with gusto. I mean, they know, you never see a sprinter jog either. They know that they have a purpose. They have a passion. They've got to get to that finish line first. And I think in our lives, that's what I want to do. I want to give it everything. When I hear that prompting from God, when I say, God, when God says, Dustin, this is what I have for you, or Celebration Center, this is what I have for you, we get to say, let's go. Let's not sit back and wait. Let's be like that sprinter who hears that gun go off. We say, let's fire at it. Let's go for this goal. Give it everything. Now, there was an article that said, out of 100 people, 23 don't know what they want from life. So that leaves out of 100 people, you've got 77 that have a sense of what they want to do. And out of 77, check this out, 66 don't know how to get what they want, which leaves 10 people that know what they want and how to get it. But out of that 10, only eight are willing to take the step and pay the price. Out of 100 people, the statistics show only eight know what they want, how to get it, and are willing to go forward with it. Man, I know that when I look at that article, my prayer is, God, I want to be one of that eight. And not only do I want to be one of that eight, but I want my, my life, because of him, to inspire other people to be more than eight, to turn into, man, what, how can we get to that point where we get to be 100 people going at 100 people with us that are going for that goal? Maybe we just get to multiply because we're sprinting and running that race that God gave us a dream for. Now, like I said, I want to look at some people in Scripture that you may not associate with kind of this vision and goals and going for something. We're going to talk about the wise men. I know it's not even Christmas. I was talking to someone this morning, and they said, it's always Christmas in our hearts. And I said, that is so true. But this is usually a story that comes around on Christmas time and the nativity and stuff. But Matthew chapter 2 brings up the wise men. And I want to read verses 1 through 3 to you right now. So Matthew 2, 1 through 3 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. So like I said, this is kind of may seem like out of place where we are today. But in all reality, if you set up a nativity at home and you put those wise men right there around little baby Jesus in the manger, they're probably there too early. You can probably take them and put them across the room because they've got some walking to do <laughs> before they get there. Scholars think it was six months or even up to two years before the wise men actually got to Jesus. So it is kind of fitting that it's after Christmas and now we're bringing these people into play. But there's something, they do some amazing things when it comes to looking at something and going for a vision and passion that God gave them. You see, they moved beyond intentions to uh, intentions to intentionally pursue what God called them to do. And they give us, I think, three goals here that I'll go over real quick. One, decide what you want. The wise men knew what they wanted. Two, they decided how to get it. They decided what their steps were to get to see Jesus. 
And three, you have to discipline yourself to work through and follow God to the end of their goal. We're going to unpack this with the wise men and how they can be a good example for us as we dream big. And as we see the future and and lay out what God's uh, plan and path is for us, how we can look at them as an example for what they did to accomplish the dream that God gave them. They had a goal. They knew what they were going for, and they persistently worked through this until they arrived at their God-ordained destination. Now, first question is, how did they know? How did they know what God wanted them to pursue, right? Well, the first thing is, they looked, and God led them. So if we look, God will lead you. In that passage, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, one of the incredible things we see in this story is God's ability to speak to people in many different ways. And God transcends language barriers. He transcends common communication barriers. He talks to people in incredible ways. And we see this all throughout Scripture. You see, when God speaks to you, he speaks in a language that you're able to understand. You're not going to hear a booming voice in another language and wonder, what was that? God will speak to you in a way that you can understand. And he communicates to each of us uniquely. I think everybody here hears God through many different things and sees God work in many different ways. And we see many examples of that in Scripture. The wise men, they saw God through the stars. They were stargazers, and they looked, and they saw this destination God had given them in the stars. The shepherds, God spoke to them through angels. He sent angels to deliver this amazing message of Jesus being born. To Moses, he spoke through a burning bush. To Joseph, he spoke through a series of dreams, his dreams and others' dreams. God sent a light to each one of us here, I believe, that ultimately led you to this place here. Like I said, whether it's in person or online, God sent you that some form of communication to bring you here today. He speaks to each one of us uniquely. It could have been by a family member inviting you. Maybe someone's online right now. How you doing? <laughs> because of a text message someone sent today. Maybe it was through a flyer. Maybe you, you found this place because you Googled it. And this was the church that showed up. Maybe you moved here and it's a church down the street. For some way, God spoke to you through something and brought you to his presence today. He communicates in a language that we can understand. And the message of Jesus, him coming as a human in human flesh, was a message for all of us to understand. You see, these wise men, they came looking for Jesus. People believe, like I said, six months to two years that they were seeking and coming to him. But they came to him. So, these guys were scientists. They studied the heavens. They studied the stars. But I love that when they see this message, they see the star, it wasn't out of coincidence. It wasn't just one day, oh, look, there's something different. They were looking for it. They were actively looking for the sign that God had sent the Savior. And they realized it when they saw it. They were familiar with the prophecies. They knew something was going to happen. They knew God's promise, and they were actively looking for it. Now, they knew its purpose, and they set themselves to pursue it. I love that they didn't see it, and they, didn't, and they waited. It doesn't say. They, they saw the star, and they thought, oh, good, God sent his son. Maybe he'll make it to us someday. That wasn't their attitude, right? They saw the star, and they said, wow, it's happening. Let's go. They were called to be a part of it. They were called to pursue the passion that God had put on their heart. It was more than just an aspiration. They didn't aspire to be pursuers of Jesus, They were actually valuing what it was to pursue Jesus, and they did that with their actions by going to meet him. So what is the focus? What is the direction of your life's pursuit? What is in the uppermost of your mind and your heart? For these guys, it was to seek Jesus with all their heart, literally. And they went on an incredible journey to seek Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now coming into a new season here, we need to know the way. We need to know the truth to live by so that life can be manageable. 
And so often we attempt to pursue and do goals on our own. We can say, I'm going to set this out because this is what I want. And we can take it out of the hands of the one who promises to have these goals and path for us. And when we do something on our own, we often think that we know what's best. Um, I suffer from that a lot, honestly. I think I know what's best for my life and God has to keep putting me in check. It's part of my, um, my, my wife lovingly calls it my huge ego. I don't know if there's anything else to call it. But, but it's, it's crazy when you start thinking, I need to think of my goals less and his goals more. And I know that the more you pursue God, a crazy, crazy thing happens with the desires of your heart. Scripture says that God will give you the desires of your heart, but when you're seeking him, there starts to be an alignment, an alignment of what you want in your life. It starts to align with what you can see God wants for you and, and, and his will for you. And they start to match up and you go on this incredible journey where you're actively living out that value of living for God. Now, sometimes we need direction. As a husband, I know I need lots of direction a lot of times in my life. Now, before we were married, Stephanie and I were dating. We're in college. And Stephanie is a mac and cheese connoisseur. I am not a mac and cheese connoisseur. Um, sometimes if someone says, you want mac and cheese? I think that craft box is delicious. Stephanie, not so much. It's got to be good stuff. So when we were dating, and uh, you know, I was doing my best to impress this girl, because I was head over heels for her. I'm still head over heels for you. Um, she sent me to the store to buy Gruyere cheese. I had never heard of this cheese. I'd never seen of this cheese. Growing up in a family as big as mine, we had Jack or Cheddar. That was it. And for a portion of my childhood, we spent some time on welfare, and so we got whatever government cheese they wanted to throw in the bag that week. That's what it was. So when I go to the grocery store, she sends me, says, I'm going to make mac and cheese. Can you go get me Gruyere cheese? I'm like, okay. I, could, I, I was saying grayer cheese. Gray, I couldn't pronounce the word. I still am hoping I'm saying it right. I Googled, actually Googled it last night, pronunciation of this cheese. But I remember going to the store, Walking down the cheese section, seeing we got shredded mozzarella, we got Jack, we got Swiss. Where is this cheese? I had no direction <laughs> where to go. And so I finally sought help from the, the pros at, at Safeway. Walked up to the deli, said, I'm looking for this cheese. They said, oh, you have to go to this section. And I see the small little island of luxury cheeses. And I walk over, I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? So I look, and not only was there Gruyere cheese, there was five kinds of this cheese. So I remember calling Stephanie, and she didn't answer. I felt a sense of panic. I'm going to ruin my girlfriend's, her mac and cheese. She's going to break up with me over mac and cheese. That's what's going to happen. And I did not have the direction of what to do. So I remember, I remember a true story. I was like, God, just let me grab the right one. I knew where all five were, closed my eyes, grabbed one, and we're going with this one. It had Gruyere on it, so we went. And I went back to her, her dorm room, gave her the cheese. She was like, perfect. <laughs> Thank you, God. We got the right cheese. But I was suffering from a lack of direction. And man, it caused panic. I had to get direction. Otherwise, I was just going to wander. I, I, I did spend more time than I needed looking at those cheeses, pondering what one do I get, instead of just asking from the front. I could have gone in immediately and said, nope, not here. What one is it? And gone for it. But I wandered by myself for a while, and it made that whole adventure more stressful than it needed to be. But what if we took this attitude? I had the attitude that I wanted to get it right because I wanted to make her so happy that I could do this mundane task of getting cheese. But what if we took that attitude and put that towards our walk with Jesus to the point where we said, you know what? 
I am going to pursue you with everything. Failure is not an option. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right. What do I need, God? Equip me with the tools. Equip me with the people, the passion, the place to go to grow in the way that you want me to go. What if that was our attitude behind it? It wasn't just a, I'm going to do this once or twice a week thing. It was a, this is my life. I'm going to pursue you, God, with everything I have. I'm going to please you and not myself. You are more important than my desires. Man, is there anything that he couldn't get us through? Is there anything we couldn't accomplish if that was our unified attitude towards serving God? More than ever, it's wisdom to pursue and look to Jesus to lead us. This year, let's make it a goal to pursue Christ with greater consistency. And let's do that first and foremost through our obedience. I know that God's going to lead us into new territories. God's going to be opening up doors. I see that and I feel that very clearly uh, coming here, that there's going to be some amazing things ahead of us, but there's going to be times where we could be afraid to move or even worse than that, I think, we could get complacent. We get to a point where we think, you know, this is just kind of good. This is good. I kind of like where we're at and we're, we're going to stay here. But complacency, man, that is the biggest enemy of progress. Not just for, for a church, but even for you in your own, in our own, in my life, personally, my own walk with Jesus. If I get complacent, that's going to be the biggest hindrance to my growth because I'm going to want to stay where I'm at. I mean, how little we realize that our future is linked with what we do today. I don't want to be complacent today because I know God has a better future for me. In Genesis chapter 19, there was a man named Lot. Many of us know this story, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Matt, uh, Lot lived in Sodom, a city so bad that God was forced to destroy it. Now, God sent angels down to save Lot, but here's a shocking part in this story that I think, I, I know I overlooked many, many times. Lot's response, the angels grab him and they say, let's go. Lot's response, he says, well, they seized his hand because he hesitated. Lot's response, but he hesitated, so they seized his hand and said, hurry, for I cannot do anything until you arrive here. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Man, I don't want to be that hesitation when I know God is pulling me to do something. When God says, hey, this is what I want for you in your life, I don't want to be like Lot that says, ah, oh, but you know what? I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not quite sure this is what I want to do. I want to be that person that says, God, you gave me this vision. Let's go. God, you gave me this dream, this passion. Let's, let's get people on board. Let's go for it. I don't want to be someone that hesitates and holds back. When God wants us to move in life, he'll send you a prompting in your hearts. Maybe you're, maybe you're living in a bad situation. There's something you need to change at home. But all too often, I think we can hold on to certain circumstances because maybe they're comfortable or maybe we're afraid of what the future will bring. But when we hold on to God's future, it's going to be better than ours. God may speak to you in ways that will really challenge you. He may speak to you about your marriage. Uh, he may come to you with an attitude that he needs adjusting, maybe a bad habit you have, or finances. I think God will really address compromises that you have in your life. But here's the key. Whatever God speaks to you about today, know that God is speaking to you today because he has your future in mind. He has the destination. He knows where he wants you to go, and there's going to be changes you need to do today to go down that path to get to that future. God's not just about saving marriages or lives right now. He's about saving your future. And when we understand this, we get to understand just how important the cross was because God sent Jesus to the cross to save us from a future that the enemy was trying to steal. The enemy was trying to steal our, our forgiveness. He was trying to keep our souls from God and God said, no, I'm gonna do this now and it will save your future. When you and I obey his voice in our lives today, we get to work with him and see how that future plays out. When he addresses that spending habit that you may have today, it's not just to do this now. Know that God is looking. Maybe he's saving you for, from a financial disaster down the road. 
God is looking at, he, God sees the whole picture where we can only see one way, God sees it all. And he knows the plan he has. And when we follow his plan, we get to see what does God want us to do? What does God, me, God want me to do? What does he want you to do? What have we been putting off? Whatever it is, we can make it a little more simple when we listen and we obey. We also have to commit to being in his word. And I truly believe that the more you dive into God's word, the more God will lead you through his word. The more time you spend in this book, the more stuff God will reveal about his heart to you and how your heart lines up with his heart. See, the the wise men were not only stargazers, but they had to be familiar with the Old Testament. They had to have spent so much time in there to know the prophecies, to know what was coming, and to be that excited to want to pursue it when it happened. So the question for all of us then is this, how are we doing in the word? How are we doing in our quiet time with him? Are we making sure that this, this book, when, when we talk about a preferable future, are we seeing the way God works? Are we putting his word into our hearts? Are we saying, God, I want to make sure that first and foremost, I'm seeking you. And the best way to do that is to read the word that you wrote for me. Spend time in the word. Spend time in community. It, if you haven't figured out or decided on a plan to read through the Bible this year, some sort of Bible study plan, it's not too late. You know, we're, only, we're only six weeks into the year or so, six or seven weeks. It is not too late to dive in. As, as a matter of fact, it is never too late to say, I'm going to spend more time in the Word starting now. And my challenge would be that. Spend time in the Word. Read what God has in store. Read about his promises. See how those promises relate to your life. It's never too late to get started. Get involved in a small group. Get involved in, and start unpacking your life with people. When, when scripture comes and there's something you don't understand, the great news is if you're in a smoke with people, some of them may not understand, some of them may. You get to unpack it together and you get to share your life. You get to build community with one another and that's an incredible thing. And one of the best places to grow is with a community of fellow people who are gonna challenge you, who are gonna encourage you to grow and are gonna spend time in prayer and in the word with you. It's not just coming here on a Sunday morning. It's not just saying, all right, God, I'm going to give you one hour, an hour and 10 minutes of my week. It's saying, God, I'm putting you first and foremost, and I'm going to surround myself in a place where I can grow continually in you. Small groups, man, this is where growth happens. No one, I don't think, was ever called to live in a personal vacuum where you're isolating yourself from the world. Man, God created community, and community is an incredible thing. Share your life. Dive into the word. Now, I'm already working on and dreaming about what, what small groups are going to look like for here in the future. And my, my blood gets pumping when I think about different groups of people meeting on different days of the week at different times, sharing their very different lives, all under the banner of serving one God. It's an incredible thing when people are all unified and growing together. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. See, God speaks to us so much for his word that he, he does compare it to a light. Now, for example, if you're driving at night, what do you have to turn on in your car? The headlights, right? And everyone, if you don't turn on your headlights, it is bad news. <laughs> you can't see anything. It is really, really bad. But when do those headlights stop working? In one of two things, right? Either you stop moving, so your, your vision has stopped. It only goes that far because you're stopped moving. Or you turn off your car and you turn off your lights, and then there's no light. But in both of those actions, it's us that turn that off. It's us that may turn off the car or stop the car or us that turns off the headlights and that's when our vision cuts off. And I think so much of that is the same with God. It's incredibly hard to see what God has in store for us if we are cutting ourselves off from the word that he gave us. If we're saying we're gonna cut ourselves off and not spend time in here, it's gonna be really hard to unpack what God has for us because he speaks out, he can speak out so clearly through his word. 
And even though you may not know, like I said, with the headlights, you can only see so far. With God, he lets you see and you get to keep going. But the more you walk, the more the path is illuminated and you eventually get to go where he's taking you if you stay on that track with him. Stay connected to him. Stay plugged in and don't turn yourself off from what he has for you. Let him illuminate your path. Now, when we do this, we also have to release the past. It's so funny that Marshall actually used the word tethered because that's a part of what I want to talk about right now, being tethered to the past. Now, sometimes we can hold back on fears and insecurities. Has anybody ever had a fear in their life that made them hesitate to do something else? You got hurt, you got burned. There's something when you think of, oh, I did that once, but then a really, really bad memory comes up and you think, I'm never doing that again. I don't know what happened in the dark to me one night, but to this day, I'm scared of the dark. I don't know where that comes from, but I passed it down to my children. I'm sorry, Steph. But, you know, they're, they're terrified of the dark, too. But something tethers my mind to fear in the dark. And did you know that an elephant, the, we all know the phrase, an elephant never forgets, right? An elephant never forgets. Neither does my nine-year-old. She never forgets. But that phrase comes a lot from circus elephants. So when a circus elephant is a baby, if it's born there in the circus, they actually put a chain around its foot, and they tether it to a post, and they give it its freedom of range, where it's allowed to go. And so for the first number of years of that elephant's life, it learns its distance, where it can go, where it can't go. What the elephant doesn't know is at some point, the circus trainers will take that chain off and put a simple string around the elephant's foot. And that string goes to the tether. It's no longer a heavy chain, but the crazy thing is, when the elephant feels just the slightest tension that it could very easily snap, it stops. Its mind is tethered to that post. It cannot leave that post. See, it's not just a, a physical tether. The elephant has a tether in its mind that it cannot overcome. It's tied down by a past experience that inhibits it from moving. See, in our lives, we've got to move past our old mistakes and past circumstances to what lies ahead. We've got to break whatever is telling us we can't do it. We've got to break whatever that fear and security is, and we've got to know that we have a God that can break any chain, any tether, and he can overcome anything that we may feel overwhelmed with. We can trust that Jesus will always help us move forward, move past whatever is tethering. Now, I know it's easier said than done because those fears and insecurities are real, but the good news is we serve a very real God who is very much bigger than any of those things. Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Man, there are great experiences, I believe, ahead for all of us. Really, really good ones. And we have to pursue him in this upcoming year to see it. And hear this. God has so much potential for each and every one of you. I believe that with my whole heart. Nobody here, has, nobody here is in unavailable for God. God has something for each and every one of you here. God has a potential, something that he wants to accomplish with you and for you. And I think that our obedience coming to God each and every day, coming and saying, you are the one I want to follow, we get to start reaching into maybe that untapped potential right now. <clears throat> maybe you have a tether that's a disobedience that's, that's postponing this. Let's break it. God invites us to be in a daily relationship with him, to hear from him, to be with him, to be in obedience to do everything that he says. And know this, we can follow, but the journey may cost you. Now, <clears throat> verses four through nine say this. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where Christ could be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler 
who will be my shepherd and my people in Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go worship him. Spoiler alert, he's a liar. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them and it came upon and stopped above the place where the child was. I love this. They were following the star that was still moving. The star led them and stopped on this place. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that following Jesus may have some sacrifice, and that is still very true. Following Jesus will have a cost. It's not easy, but the payoff is one of the greatest things ever. The wise men had to travel through hostile environments. That was a long journey for them. Through Tigris, the Euphrates River, through the desert, to finally arrive in Jerusalem, only to have people not know what they're talking about, but to be disturbed by what they said, ultimately to deal with a jealous king who could have had them killed. They were risking a lot coming to do this. And your journey to reach your goals and destinations this year, you will face difficulties. Some you're already maybe aware of. You may know this is what's happening in my life right now. This is a difficulty I have. Some you may not know yet. Some may be like that Mayhem Allstate commercial. Those are some of my favorite commercials, right? Be protected from mayhem like me. We may not know the mayhem that's down the road. We may not know what's, we're going to turn the corner one day and what life will throw at us because, man, sometimes life happens. There's no promise of a smooth journey from difficulty, but the key is when you follow and you're willing to know, God, there's going to be a price and I'm willing to pay it, knowing that God has a plan at work, that's when we say, these obstacles aren't going to stop me. These obstacles are going to be opportunities to God move through me. Jesus said it wouldn't be easy in Luke 14, 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. See, these guys just kept going. The star moved, they moved. New destination, new journey. They kept going. It was an important principle because even though the journey may have changed along the way as that star was moving, they never stopped pursuing it. 1 Peter 4.19 says, So then those who suffer according to God, will, well, they should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You see, suffering comes in life, but we get to choose if it's going to work out for the better. Our attitude has a lot to play in the, the outcome of the suffering. Will it make us better or is it going to cause us to be bitter? Will it break us down and break us away? Or is it going to build us up in our faith and confidence in God? Is it going to make us victims? Or is it going to make us victorious through him? Because we know that he is the ultimate winner, no matter what our sufferings may be. Now, just like our verse last week says, and I love it so much, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Man, when we are trusting God and we work through our suffering, we work through the pain and sacrifice, we get to see this verse actively come out because we know that God is in control and God has a great plan. You don't know. I don't know. We don't know what this year will bring. We don't know when the pandemic will end. We're seeing you know, kind of a little bit of, of lifting on things and the, and the, um, the vaccine coming around and, and there's glimpses of maybe this is coming in the future, but ultimately we just don't know what it's going to look like. And we don't know when everything is all said and done, what the lasting effects will be just kind of on society and, and community. We don't know these things, but we do know that if our goals are set and focused on Christ, he's doing a great work through it. He's doing a great work through us and he has the ability to shape us to do great things in this place, in this congregation, in this city, in your families, and it will all be incredible things. Because we know who is in charge, we get to rejoice at the destination of these trials. Because we know who's in charge, we get to rejoice at the destination. Matthew 2.10 says this, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. 
Sometimes we can forget to set up times along our way to just rejoice and have joy at the journey. Have you ever booked a vacation? And when you hit reserve, you're like, yes, we're going on vacation. The world seems to slow down, right? Every day at work seems to take longer. That clock can't go fast enough. You're like, oh man, we got this many weeks until we go. And then every day seems longer. And every hour seems longer because your mind is set on the excitement that you know is going to happen when you get there. But the problem is if you do that, then the rest of the weeks that are leading up into that just starts to feel like a drag. It just starts to feel like you just cannot wait to get to that point. And we forget to celebrate the journey coming into there. Now, we love to go to Disneyland. Surprise, I know. But um, we love to go to Disneyland. And one of our trips that we had booked was a couple months out. And my daughter, Aurora, she started whining that it was too far away. She was like, I can't wait. And in my mind, I wanted to whine too. Because like, I know, I just want it to be tomorrow. But she was whining about the trip. And so we started singing this song that we just made up on the spot. Really simple, it was just going to. And she would shout, Disneyland. And we would just sing that throughout the day. Random points. And it would just keep that excitement going. And then when different things happened, we would celebrate, you know, checking off a day on the calendar. Only this many more days to go. And we would, you know, look at Disney shirts or different things that we were going to bring with us. And we started celebrating leading into the destination. It wasn't just waiting to get there. We were looking at celebrating along the entire way. Now, all too often, we can get consumed with the destination and miss the joy of the journey. As we grow in our walk with Jesus, as you grow in your walk with Jesus, set up places in your families and your life to celebrate the wins. Look and say, man, I was here. God wants to bring me here. And along the way, I'm experiencing this and celebrate those things. Man, we see that in scriptures with, with God doing that with his people. He sets up celebrations. There were feasts. There were celebrations. There were national commemorations throughout the entire year to, that people got to celebrate where they were, where they were going, and the steps along the way. In some ways, man, we've forgotten the grace and joy of celebration. There's a great verse in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's almost like a timeout is called in the middle of everything going on with Nehemiah building the wall. And he says, this is no longer a time to grieve, but to celebrate for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we can get too busy. We can neglect the power of celebration when it comes to reaching our goals. Now, a good friend of mine who was a pastor for many years shared that he once went through a really dark time a really dark time in his life where he kind of was thrown off his spiritual balance, thrown off his spiritual equilibrium, he called it. He said he could attribute it to a number of things. One was he wasn't honoring the Sabbath and taking time off. He wasn't taking time to just say, God, today I'm giving you everything. He was working really, really hard. He wouldn't stop. He didn't celebrate God's goodness due to busyness. He said he always felt like there was something he had to do and he didn't take time to just stop and say, God, look at what you're doing. This is good because he always felt he had to do more. In the midst of his hectic, hectic planning schedule with funerals and counseling and other uh, family issues where he was giving out from emotional instances, he was feeling physical attacks and his spiritual, his spiritual tank was not filling back up. He let busyness crowd out his daily disciplines of personal devotions, journaling and prayer. He would study for work and study for ministry, but he wouldn't study and celebrate God just for himself. And for him, that really started to derail his walk with God. And you see, this is critical. If you, if you start feeling spiritually depleted, if you start feeling like something is dragging on or depressed, that's a warning light, like the, the dash lights on your car. It's a warning light. Pay attention to it. Find out what's going on. Find out what do you need to do to get yourself right. Is it more time in the word? Is it more time in prayer? Is it more time with community? Is it less time about being the busy and more time being consumed by him? Find out what it is and say, man, this is what I need to do to recalibrate my life. It's not a time to beat yourself up but it's a time to open yourself up to him. 
a time to find healing, a time to find rest, a time to find that celebration. Let his strength become your joy and so much that you enjoy the destination, so much that you get to say, this is what I'm doing and it may be hard, but this is why it's good. This is why I get to celebrate what God's doing in my life because I see where he's taking us. Don't miss out on what he's doing in you and don't miss out on what he's doing through you. And remember, lastly, make the most of it. Uh, chapter two, Matthew two, 11 and 12 say, when they went into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. They returned to their country by another route. I love that the wise men made the most of this, but they did it in a certain order. Check this out. It says, they gave themselves fully to God in worship. Then they gave their treasures to him. I love that. Before they gave God anything, what did they give? What, they didn't, before they gave him the material things, I should say, what did they give him first? They gave themselves. They went to Jesus with gifts, but the gifts were second to them bowing down and worshiping. And after they worshiped, they said, hey, this is what we brought you. And if we're giving God stuff, but we're not giving him ourselves first, we're not pursuing him first, we're missing a lot of the joy this journey is going to bring. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, now where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect at the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeliness with every increase in glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. When we give him our heart, he changes us. Before we give him anything else, give him yourself. That's key to understanding the dream and the passion and the vision that he's laid out for you. He'll change and lead us this year. I believe that he'll change and lead us into an amazing season here at Celebration Center when we say, before we do anything, we are giving God everything we are and then watching where he takes us from here. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up on stage this morning. 2,021 years ago, the wise men watched a star. They watched a star in the east and they followed it all the way until they found Christ. Let our goal this year be to continue to seek him all the time. Two weeks ago, we said, let's take our walk with Jesus this year more serious than ever. And I think it's going to start with us taking him, looking through him and seeking him continually. Second Corinthians says, so we make it our goal to please him. We're not doing this to please each other. We're not doing this to please our neighbors. We're not doing it for a show. First and foremost, we're giving God ourselves because we're doing it for him. Everything we do is going to be to please him. And nothing short of giving him our best to do that. Galatians 3 says, after beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You see, there's, there's a balanced call to being doing, doers and waiters. I think God will give us seasons where he says, this is what I have coming, wait for it. But remember, when he says, now it's time, let's go. Let's be that sprinter that hears that gun that is ready. They see that, gold, that, that finish line. They see the gold medal. They can touch it. It's right there. Let's be the people that say, I am going to go. It can be start by saying a short prayer that's something along the lines of saying, God, I want this year to be different. What do, I do to, what do I need to do to be able to trust you more? What do I need help doing that only I can do with you? Help me to walk in and receive your strength. Philippians says, press towards the goal for the prize for which God has called me. Let's press towards that goal together. God's called us for a big prize. He's got big things and we get to go for it. Mother Teresa is a um, personal idol of mine. I love what she lived for and a lot of things she said. She said this, yesterday is past, tomorrow may never come. We have only today to do the word of Jesus. Action allows us to be the pen in God's hand to write out his story. I love that. Let's write out God's story. 
And as you think of goals this year, write out some things for yourself. 2021, what are you going to do to pursue Christ personally and in your life? What are you going to do as a Christ follower? How will you pursue him? What are you going to do to experience transformation in your life? What steps are you going to take to say, God, transform me here. Here's how I'm giving it to you. And then ask God, God, what does this mean for my family? How do I get to move my family in this season? How do we get to, to lead our families to you, through you in this season? Write out these goals. Laminate them. Put them on the fridge. Put them on your bathroom mirror. Wherever, wherever you know you're going to see them, put these things. Make them visual. Pray about them. Spend time in the word. And let's dive into 2021 continually together, seeking him first, knowing that, man, we can see a star maybe. We see where God wants us to go. Now let's go for it. Would you uh, stand with me? Excited for this season. The, the, more I, the more I study and the more I pray in my, my personal life about just my family being here and what God has in store for this place, I get pumped when I think about it because I know good things are coming and I'm excited to be here with all of you to work with God to make it happen. So let's pray this morning that God works through us, that we're able to follow him and live out the dream that he's given us for this place. God, you are so good. I thank you that we get to come, God. I, I thank you for the, the dream you have for this church to be uh, just one of the, the best church, not the best church in Puyallup, but the best church for Puyallup, God. I pray that you, you use this place. God, you grow in this place. You grow us. I pray that first and foremost, we come to you with everything we are. We give you our hearts, God. And through that, we're able to see what you want us to do. We're able to see the vision, the path. You're, you're able to be that light for us that goes down the road where we say, that's where I can go because that's where I see clearly. It's the light that you have have laid out for us. So God, today we come before you saying simply use us. Here we are for you. We love you and we know you have incredible things and we get not just a front row seat, we get to be on the court, on the team, making it happen with you. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said,